Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. You want to turn with me over to Luke chapter 19, please? We're continuing on in our series, and we're at the 19th chapter. This is week number 67, and uh, we're, we're nearing the end here. Uh, Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. And that's where things really begin to unravel and really begin to show forth God's glory at the cross. But we are building up to that. So turn with me over to Luke chapter 19. We're looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. Jesus and Zacchaeus. And as you're turning, I'm going to pray. Lord, we ask this morning that you would, you would give us your grace. Lord, that we would understand your word. God, we thank you that your word reveals to us your intentions, your glory, your purposes. And God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and God's soft hearts to receive with faith. Jesus, thank you that you are speaking today, that you are the living God, that you are not silent, but you continue to go forth in our lives. Lord, I pray this morning that you would give me strength and uh, please help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. The, when the Alaskan pipeline was being built, there were many Texans who went to Alaska and found work on the pipeline. I don't think Evan and Mandy are here today. Thank goodness. The Texans could only work for a few hours in the frigid weather, yet the Eskimos, the native Alaskans, could work indefinitely in the cold. They decided to do a study to find out why the Eskimos could withstand the weather. And after much study, they found that there were no physiological differences between the Eskimos and the Texans. There was nothing in skin thickness, blood, or any other thing physically that would explain the differences and the ability to withstand the temperatures. The solution came when they did a psychological study. The difference, as the Eskimo said, is he knows it was cold, but there was a job to be done. In other words, his focus was on the job and obtaining results rather than on the weather. The Texan focused on the weather, and this kept him from focusing on the job at hand. So that was an obstacle that the Texans could not overcome is this cold weather. They're used to the warm weather, I'm sure, as Evan and Mandy would tell us. Now, as we turn to Zacchaeus in the city of Jericho, I think we would be better to name the city of Jericho just like we would Philadelphia as the, the city of brotherly love and Chicago as the windy city. If we could give a name to Jericho, I think we'd name it the city of obstacles or the city is the place where people don't want you to meet Jesus. And so here as we turn to the beginning of chapter 19, we are reminded how just a few verses earlier, there was a blind man sitting on the side of the road, and he was crying out to Jesus as Jesus is entering into Jericho. And everyone around the, the, this, this blind beggar was like, hey, be quiet, shut your mouth, don't bother Jesus. But he yelled out all the more, to get Jesus' attention because he needed to meet Jesus. And Jesus met him. 
and he gave him back his sight, and the man was restored. But now as Jesus has entered Jericho, there's also some obstacles for some other people. People don't want Zacchaeus to meet Jesus. Let's look on, in verse 1 and 2. And Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. He's passing through. Where is he on his way to? He's on his way to Jerusalem to accomplish redemption. And there's a map up here. And on the map, I just want to give you a heads up. Jericho is a little circle on the, on the, kind of to the north. Jerusalem is 15 miles to the south. And it's about a 3,000-foot incline from Jericho to Jerusalem. So it's a, it's a hard, steep climb. But Jesus is passing through to go to Jerusalem. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, the way that the tax, the tax collectors, how they made their money, in a sense, was the, the occupying Roman government, which was occupying Jerusalem at the time in the surrounding area, what they would do is they would kind of uh, fan out the responsibility to collect taxes from various people. And so what you would do is you would go to the Roman government and put a bid in to say, I believe I can make this much money collecting taxes. And so the Roman government would then award you the contract to, to gather the taxes in a certain area. But they didn't give any caps to how much you could take. So depending on how good you were and depending on how shady you were, you had the potential to make all kinds of money. And here we have Zacchaeus being a chief tax collector. So this was probably a guy who was overseeing many tax collectors. All right, So there's a bit of a pyramid scheme here, and he was at the top of the pyramid. He was doing pretty well. The people under him were collecting the taxes. He was overseeing the various tax collectors. He was getting a cut of their money that was coming in, and it made him very wealthy. Zacchaeus was doing well. He had a big home. He had plenty of servants good food to eat every single night. The guy was doing well. But this should also remind us, as we read it from the very beginning, that he was rich. It should bring to mind the various things that Jesus had talked about when he talks about riches. So in Luke chapter 12, we read about the rich fool. Jesus gives a parable about the rich guy who, who bought all these barns and bigger barns for himself, and that night he died and lost it all. Luke 16, we have the parable of the rich man, Lazarus, where Lazarus is a beggar at this rich man's gate. The, the rich man walks past Lazarus every single day, does not notice him, pays no attention to him. They both die. Lazarus is in heaven. The rich man ends up in hell. Then we read about the rich ruler in chapter 18. And the rich ruler comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, no problem. Here's what you need to do. And in the end, Jesus says, you need to sell all of your possessions. And it said the rich man walked away sad because he was very rich. He missed it. So now as we turn to Zacchaeus, we read that he is rich. It doesn't give us a whole lot of hope for Zacchaeus. There's been a pattern of riches preventing people from coming to Christ. There's been an obstacle, there's been a roadblock for people, and it was riches. So Zacchaeus here is said he was rich. It carries on in verse 3. And Zacchaeus, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. 
But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. And so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And so Zacchaeus was a short guy, and you can imagine the people in Jericho. Zacchaeus wasn't the most popular guy. He's probably the most hated guy. He was the guy who got fat off of your money. So he took what, what belonged to you, brought it to himself, and he acquired more servants and a bigger home and nicer things and, and more clothes, all at your expense. And so there's a crowd of people gathering around Jesus Christ, and as Zacchaeus comes up to get a look to see who Jesus is, you can imagine there's probably a few elbows being thrown, like, leave me alone, buddy. Why don't you just, you know, get lost? They're not making any room for Zacchaeus to get through. It would have been impossible for him to make his way through the crowd without someone landing a few elbows in his face, I'm sure. But, what, but fortunate for him, there's a sycamore tree. And if we show a picture of a sycamore tree, a sycamore tree has got a broad base, but the branches fan out in many different directions, very big leaves. And so you can imagine Zacchaeus thinking, wow, okay, there's a sycamore tree along the road that Jesus is traveling, I'll climb up in the sycamore tree with the big leaves and so people won't even notice that I'm up there. Because it's a little shameful that, that because of the way people have rejected me, now I've got to climb a tree to see Jesus. So he climbs up in the sycamore tree and he's in there and he's probably thinking, well, I'm pretty well hidden from the crowd and from people laughing at me or calling me names because the leaves are going to hide me. Let's carry on in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So here in the Gospels, we see for the very first time, Jesus going to someone's house uninvited. Jesus didn't wait for an invitation from Zacchaeus. He simply looked up and said, I'm going to your house today. Let's, let's get on with it. And Zacchaeus said, no problem. And we see the response of the crowd. And what's the response? It's not, wow, this tax collector, this sinner, gets a chance to spend some time with Jesus. They all begin to grumble. Man. This guy, is, this guy is the enemy number one in town, and you want to go spend time with him? Aren't there better people to spend? I mean, maybe there's like some more, some people who are better off with you and spending time with you. Why Zacchaeus? Why this guy? If you remember back to Luke chapter 15, at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, it talks about people being upset at Jesus. Why? Because he spent time with sinners and ate with them. That's why people were upset. It's almost the same kind of thing going on here. People are upset because Jesus, here Jesus is on his way to accomplish redemption, and he wants to go hang out with the biggest sinner in town. Surely his time's better spent elsewhere. Let's carry on in verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, so obviously he's gotten down from the tree, he's excited, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded 
anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Wow. This is amazing. Half of what I have, I'm going to give to the poor. Now, when I first read this, I thought, yeah, if you're super rich and you lose half of your income, you're still pretty well off. But what does he say he's going to do with the other half of his money that he has? He's going to restore the money that he's taken from people. This is in the present tense, meaning, look, I've done this. Okay, I have stolen from people. I know this. Everyone else here knows this. I'm going to take what, I've, I'm going to take what I have in, in my income remaining, the other half, and use it to give fourfold back of what I've taken. Meaning what? He's not going to have anything left. At this point, Zacchaeus is broke. He's declared that he's basically giving away all of his money, all of his possessions gone. And in an instant, he's going to sell it, he's going to get rid of it, whatever he's going to do, he's going to give it to the poor and pay back everyone he's ripped off. Now, normal restitution in the Old Testament was to pay back the value of what was taken plus 20%. And so he could have easily said, look, here's what the law requires of me. I've taken from everyone in town here. I'll pay you back and give you 20%. And everyone would have said, yep, that's right. That's the right thing to do. According to, according to the law, that's what you should do. But he doesn't say that. He says, I'm going to pay back what I've taken from you and four times that amount. It's an unbelievable declaration that he is making. He's going above and beyond. It's as if Jesus opens his heart to Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus in turn opens his heart to the poor. It's an awesome statement. Now, what does Jesus have to say about this in verse 9? And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's beautiful. This is Jesus' mission statement. Why is Jesus here? What is Jesus doing? What did he come here to accomplish? He came here to seek and save the lost beautiful it's a beautiful thing we're going to spend the rest of this morning talking about this call this mission statement of jesus christ that he came to seek and to save the lost i want to just begin by way of looking at some things that lead up to this mission statement because as we look at this mission statement we're going to see that it wasn't just jesus's mission statement But it's the very mission statement that now he calls us to continue on with in his ministry. Jesus didn't just complete this on the cross and then says, okay, I'm done, see you later. He calls you and I to continue and carry on the mission of what he began. So we're going to look at number one, small beginnings. Because this is where it starts. For Zacchaeus, it was just a tree. It was just a glance at Jesus. That's where it all started. It was it just so happened that there, there was the perfect tree lined up on the road that Jesus was walking, that a guy of Zacchaeus' stature and strength could climb up and get a better look. Do you think God had planned the seed of that tree to be planted along that road, 
long before Zacchaeus ever shown up, you better believe it. God had a plan. When that seed was being planted in that ground along that road, God knew that one day a man named Zacchaeus would meet the Savior. God knew it. It's small beginnings. I think of my own life, and I've shared this story before, how when I was in college or shortly after, went on a missions trip to to the Dominican Republic. And on this missions trip in the Dominican Republic, I was a small group leader, and there was a number of other small group leaders on the trip, and then there's the main leader, the youth group, um, the youth pastor at the time. And halfway through the trip, we rented four-wheelers to go and, and drive up a mountain in the Dominican Republic, which is just a terrible idea. And as we're driving along, I look behind me, and I see a four-wheeler going end over end, and behind the four-wheeler is a person going end over end over end. And it was the youth pastor. And as he sat up after going end over end, his shoulder was in the middle of his chest, and he turned white as a ghost, and they had to get him out of there because he ripped his shoulder out of the socket and tore tendons and all kinds of nasty stuff happened to him. But it was a Sunday afternoon, and it was a little town, and they could not find a sober doctor in this town on a Sunday afternoon. So they had to really medvac him back to the United States, at which point uh, I took and led the team for the rest of the way. Now, up until that point, I'd never led anything in my entire life concerning church. I coached basketball. I was doing some stuff at work. I mean, it was, I was doing some of those things, but I never once did anything ministry-wise with the church. And so for the next week, I led the team, and I just had just a great time doing it. But what that did is it set a trajectory for my life that changed my, my future forever. And I think it was just a missions trip. I didn't have to lead the team. I could have said, you know what? I'm not qualified to do this because I wasn't. I've never led a trip before. I've never been on a missions trip before. I don't know why you think I should lead a team being that I've never been on a trip before. But I just simply said yes. And I don't think I probably did a very good job of it anyways. But the reality of it was that God uses small beginnings. For my wife, Michelle, it was an invitation to go out to coffee with Amy Maples. And Amy introduced Michelle to the Lord that day. I think it's just an invitation. It's just a tree. It's just a missions trip. It's just a simple yes to the Lord. It's a simple hot meal. It's just a visit. We have no idea the things that God can use in our lives for his glory that will change the trajectory of someone's life forever. Zacchaeus had no idea what he was getting himself into when he climbed that tree. There's no way he thought, you know what, I'm going to get a glimpse of Jesus. I'm going to get saved. I'm going to give away everything in the next five minutes. Let's do it. He had no idea what he was getting himself into when he climbed that tree that day. In the same way God uses these little things in our lives for greater purposes. Two weeks ago, um, I was in my office and, and Jack Whitehead delivers the mail. So I, see, I get to see Jack every day, which is awesome. And uh, Jack came in, and, we, and there was, he, his daughter was sick, and we prayed together for his daughter. And then um, someone else came in later that day, and um, he was telling me about a friend he was, re, he was just you know, inviting and, and bringing some CDs to and those kinds of things. I said, hey, let's pray for your friends. We prayed for his friend. On the, on the way home from work, as I was traveling down Lincoln Street in Highland, 
there was a bus in front of me. And as this bus was going, there was a, there was a car in a driveway that just as that bus was passing this driveway, this car came out and just this bus nailed this car. I mean, it just nailed this thing. And head on, it was just, the bus is probably going 30 miles an hour. The car, I mean, I'm, sitting, I'm seeing the whole thing unfold. I was talking to someone on the phone. I'm like, there's an accident about to happen. I got to go. So this, thing, this was going to happen. This car got, was hit. It lifted up in the air about three feet, spun around, knocked the tires off the car. I mean, it was a bad wreck. Fortunately, the guy inside the car was, was younger. He, there was no blood. I, I can't stand blood. I think if I would have seen this guy bloody, I probably would have passed out myself. So thank goodness he wasn't bloody. But he got out of the car, and he is screaming bloody murder. I mean, he is like, I, I think my, hip, my, my back is broke, and he's crying, and he's, he's cursing. And it's just, man, it's just, this dude does not know what to do. And I think all that day, God had positioned people in my life to take time to pray with. And so I was like, man, I was just, I was reflecting back on this. And so this guy is just, so I called 911, and he, I'm like, he sits back in his car, and he's, he's shaking, he's crying, he's cursing. He's just, he's, he's kind of losing it a little bit. And I said, hey, can we just pray together? And he's like, yeah. Like, where'd that come from, you know? Like, what, what's going on here? And I had a chance to pray with the guy. Now the ambulance showed up right after that, put him in the ambulance, took him to the hospital. He was, he was actually fine. He didn't break any bones. He's had some internal bleeding a little bit. But I thought, that story is still unfolding. I don't know where it's going to end. But I thought, somehow God had prepared me that day to really be conscious of like, hey, we got a need, let's pray. Got a need, let's pray. Then this came up, and I thought, hey, there's a need, let's pray. And usually when people are crying and screaming and cursing, you're not like, hey, let's pray, buddy. You know, it's a perfect time. I can see you're obviously in a good, you know, state of being. It, it wasn't a good time for this guy. But I thought it was the perfect time and the perfect timing of God to allow me to be there to see this take place, to be able to pray with him and bring the presence of God in this situation. We don't know what God is going to use in your life, the little areas of your life, to bring about a great change for his glory. It starts with small beginnings. Just a tree, just wanting to get a glance, just a, just a trip over to Zacchaeus' house. His, his life is changed forever. So we see small beginnings, but we also see this at work as well. We see the unbelievable grace of God. Think about this. You've got the biggest, in people's minds, the biggest sinner in town, Okay? He's the greediest person. He's the person who is stolen. He's a thief. This guy is made an idol of money and possessions. He has based his entire life around getting more for himself at the cost of other people. He is ripped off person after person after person. He's stolen from them. Probably felt very little remorse as he's acquired more servants and a bigger house and more things all the expense of other people. He was living large. He had fat pockets. He had, he had an unlimited amount of potential to continue to earn more and more and more. And God took a thieving, lying idolater and in an instant 
turned him into a generous Christian. Can you believe that? It's not like this guy was already a nice guy. And then he meets Jesus and says, you know, by the way, I want to give everything away. Like, oh, what? See, we knew this guy was a nice guy. What? You know, look, look, look at this guy. He's giving it all away. He took a guy who was bent on ripping off the people around him. And he took him and made him the most generous guy in the town. I mean, this was a complete and radical transformation. This is a transformation like few that we've seen in all of Scripture. This was amazing. God met this guy right where he was in his sin, in his idolatry, in his theft, in his greed, and completely and totally changed and transformed his heart and his life and made him a generous Christian. This is absolutely amazing. He encountered the grace of God. He encountered Jesus Christ in such a way that it radically transformed the way that he lived his life. He wasn't the same guy anymore. This is not the same Zacchaeus any longer. This is a new day. It reminds us of what Jesus has just said in Luke 18. Because when the, when the rich ruler came to Jesus, and Jesus said, hey, give away all your possessions, and it says the guy turned away sad because he was rich, the disciples looked at Jesus and said, well, Jesus, who can do this then? Surely the rich who... In our estimation, you've blessed and you've provided for. Surely those guys who are close to you, if they can't get in, if there's no hope for them, then who is there hope for? And here we see Jesus saying, he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What we see here is an impossibility. Zacchaeus in his own strength, in his own ability, in his own power would never be able to do this in his own strength. Just like the rich ruler, in his own ability, looked at Jesus Christ and said, there's no way I can give up my position, my power, my possessions to follow you. I just can't do it. But here Zacchaeus encounters the grace of God and is able to get rid of everything. To become, in a sense, poor and probably destitute after he's given everything away. He's not living in that big house anymore. He doesn't have tons of servants waiting on him, providing him all the, plenty, the rich food that he can afford. Those are days long gone because he encountered the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 6, turn there really quick. 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. And he's bringing to their attention what the gospel has produced in that church. And this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither will the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now get this. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That at one point there was no hope. At one point we were this way. It's easy for us to look at Zacchaeus and think, oh man, that guy, he really had it, he really had it bad. 
But the apostle, Paul says, hey, look, look around you. There has been transformed lives all around. God has turned the greedy to be generous. He's turned the immoral to be people who actually live a holy life before him. That is the power of what Jesus Christ has done. He has sanctified. He has washed. He has cleansed us. This is the grace of God in our midst. And if we could go around this room and tell testimonies, what has Jesus Christ done in your life? We would find these things to be true as well in our church. It wasn't just the church of Corinth that had some people who were messed up, have transformed lives now following Jesus Christ. This is the testimony of every church that proclaims the name of Jesus Christ. Such were some of us, but we have met the Savior. We've met the Savior, and we've been changed and transformed. But lastly, this all culminates in this. It's Jesus Christ's mission of redemption. This is why Jesus came. He says, I've come to seek and save the lost. This is why Jesus is here. This is why he came to earth, clothed himself in flesh, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross in our place for our sin, and then rose again after three days so that he could accomplish redemption for us. Now, I want us to remember that this wasn't an idea that Jesus had towards the end of his ministry and thought, hey, you know what? While I'm here, I might as well just accomplish redemption. Hey, you know what? I've been here for a few years. I've kind of done all that I could do. I might as well kind of wrap it up with redemption. This has been the plan and purposes of God since the beginning of time. And I want us just to quick, do a quick walkthrough. We don't have to look at all these verses, but I'm going to, I'm going to run through them quickly. It starts with Abraham. God makes a promise to Father Abraham and says, All the nations of the world will be blessed through your seed, through your lineage, through your children. But the problem is Abraham doesn't have a kid at the time, and he's getting old. But he makes a promise that all the nations, all the nations will be blessed through you. Not one nation, but all nations, the whole earth. David in the Psalms writes that all the nations shall come and worship before the Lord. There is a global perspective that we are seeing here in the scriptures. David says, all the nations will come and worship before you. In the prophets, Isaiah and Habakkuk, he says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That all the earth will see the glory of the Lord. Jesus says, I've come to seek and save the lost. I call sinners to repentance. And then in the chapter 7 of Revelation, We read and we see this beautiful picture of the throne room. That every tribe and nation and tongue and people will be before the throne of God, worshiping Him. How does that happen? How do we get from Jesus Christ coming to seek and save the lost to every single tribe and nation and language and people before the throne? That's a pretty big jump. It's jumped from a couple of guys to all the world. How does that happen? Because he calls you and I to participate with him in this mission of redemption. Who is God going to use to accomplish this mission? 
It's you and I. We've been called to do this. And when I think about how God does this in our lives, how does God do this? How does God accomplish this mission of redemption in our lives? It reminds me of the upstairs boys' room in our house. And man, it's a mess. Let me tell you something. Not all the time, but sometimes. It's a big mess. These kids trash everything. Books on the floor, socks and underwear everywhere, dirty and clean. It's all mixed up. There's pillows and blankets everywhere. There's forts and tents and all kinds. It's just a huge mess. And Michelle will say to me, hey, we need to go upstairs and clean the kids' room. And I'm like, honey, I don't even know where to start. I am like, I'm just, I'm, I'm almost having a heart attack thinking about it right now. It is overwhelming. It is a huge task. And I'm like, honey, I don't know where to start. You don't understand. I don't do well with things like this. And she's like, it's just so easy. You just take a book and you put it on the shelf. Take a dirty sock and you put it in the dirty clothes. And for her, it's like it makes perfect sense. It's just these little things that you do over and over again, and eventually the room gets clean. But I don't even know where to start because the, the task is too big. It's small beginnings. How does God accomplish this, this picture of redemption that we see? How does God do this? It's like our kids' room. Just small beginnings. Just an invitation. It's just a missions trip. It's just a yes to the Lord. It all starts there. See, we can't possibly imagine what God would need to do to bring a worldwide revelation of his glory that all people would know him and see him and understand his glory. We can't possibly imagine that. But I think we can imagine an invitation to somebody. Kindness to a co-worker, like John Pascoe is talking about. Prayer. For an unsaved loved one. It starts with small beginnings. It's not complicated. It may seem like, God, I don't know how this is going to work in my life. How am I going to continue on with this mission of yours to accomplish redemption for the world? But I believe God has put in each one of our lives small steps to take. Small steps. And you know why it's possible? It's possible because of the grace of God. This isn't a message that says, guys, guess what? We need to do more, work harder, and be more efficient with our time. That's, what the, that's the heart of this message. It's not. The heart of this message is the grace of God is available. Because we can't imagine someone that we know who's turned from God and has run from God. How is that person ever going to meet Jesus and know Jesus? How is God ever going to use me in this person's life? I'm sure Zacchaeus' mom and dad probably thought the exact same thing. And how is our son ever going to turn around? We don't even like our son, let alone anyone else in this town. People thought the same thing about Zacchaeus, and he encountered the grace of God, and it completely and radically changed his life forever. That's what God does. That's how God works. Small steps, encountering the incredible grace of God, and transformation forever. That's what God does Think about this. Did Jesus enjoy this encounter with Zacchaeus? 
mean, think about this. There's, there's elements of your job that we all do. We're like, it's just part of my job, and I'm, I do this because I'm supposed to. There's other parts of your job that you just, you just love, and it's no problem. Every Sunday morning, I make the coffee, right, to keep you awake. That's my goal. If I, I, may, I, may, I, may make you, I may get you tired as I'm preaching, but the coffee will surely keep you awake. So I make it super strong, right? I don't know if you know that. It's like mud because I've chosen to make it that way for your sake. There's parts of your job you just do because you do. I wonder if this was a part of Jesus' job. He's, okay, now it's Zacchaeus' turn. Okay, but I'm coming over today. Let's just get on with this thing. Man, I bet Jesus loved this. Man, I bet Jesus was thrilled with this. I bet he's like, man, this is what I came to do, to meet a Zacchaeus on the road and transform his life. Man, this is why I'm here. I love this. I'm passionate about this. It's like the shepherd in, in Luke chapter 15 who goes after the one lost sheep, and when he finds it, he doesn't say, oh, there you are. Where have you been, sheep? I'm so angry at you for leaving. He says, man, this is amazing. I found my sheep. I'm going to put them over my shoulders. I'm going to run home and tell our friends we're going to have a big party that I found this lost sheep. In the same way, Jesus Christ is like that shepherd. He is going after and pursuing and looking for that lost sheep, that being Zacchaeus, and he is thrilled to death. He's encountered the lost sheep. What about us? In Matthew 28, we see the Great Commission. Jesus Christ calling us to go out into all the world, starting in Jerusalem and going out further and further and further into all the world to declare the good news of Jesus Christ to make disciples of all people. That's the call. That's the call he gave to the disciples as disciples. That is the same call he gives to us as disciples. To follow after Jesus Christ. To proclaim the good news. Church, this morning, Jesus Christ has entrusted us with an ongoing mission that he has inaugurated, that he now calls us to participate in. We are to continue on with the message of Jesus Christ. That through his death and resurrection, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, that we can be saved that we can be made right with Almighty God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. This is what He calls us to proclaim verbally and with love and with grace and with mercy and with humility. He calls us to continue on with the same message. We were talking about some of these things with our elders this week and our elders meeting. And in order for us to see this accomplished in our midst and in our lives, it doesn't come by way of, okay, let's get to it now. It comes by way of God in His Holy Spirit empowering and changing us. We need the Holy Spirit. We need Almighty God to fill our lives in such a way that this would be our mission as well. Because as I talk about this and I consider my own life and what God has done in me, I think there is so much more to go. I feel like I am just scratching the surface 
of what God has called for us as a church, is what God has called me as an individual, as a person. I think, man, I read this and think, I want that. But how do I get there? How do I live with this focus, with this passion, with this delight? How do I live apart from apathy and laziness and just thinking, yeah, it's about me and I get too busy? We need an infusion. We need a filling. We need a baptism. We need a strengthening of the Holy Spirit in our lives that would not allow us to drift off into apathy every Sunday afternoon as we turn the Bears game on and forget what we talked about in church. That's what we need. We need that as a church. And so as elders, as the leaders of the church, we are taking every Thursday and we're going to pray and we're going to fast until we see this thing come into fruition in this church. We're not going to settle with just kind of doing church nice and easy and just kind of half-challenging messages and maybe just kind of do a couple good things every once in a while. We want to see our lives as elders live this message out and we want to see the us as a church, as Christ's body, live this out as well. And it does not come by way of just better thinking, better skills, more books or whatever. It comes by way of encountering the Holy Spirit, empowering us to live lives for His glory. That is the only way. That is the only way that God would use His Spirit to awaken a fire and a passion for Him that would not die out and go away. We're going to close with communion. After communion, we're going to take a time just to pray. We're going to, you can be dismissed to get your kids. I don't want the children's ministry workers causing a revolt. Um, we want to be sensitive to that. But if you want to come forward for prayer, if you want to come forward for prayer because you think, man, I, I've not lived this out, I've not embraced this, then we will pray for you. And you'll pray for us because I need this too. This isn't just something that you need to get. This is something that I need to get. I need you praying for me and we need one another praying for each other because we all need this. We don't want to lose focus of what Christ has called us to do. So if the ushers would begin to distribute the elements, we're going to pray. And I want us to do business with God as, as they're passing this out. I want us to take communion this morning with a fresh sense of faith that God is calling us on mission. And for many of us, me included, there are so often times I've left my post and got sidetracked and done other things. And I feel like that's enough. I don't want to live that way. Not any longer. So Lord, we pray, God, that you would fill us with your spirit this morning that there would be a fresh sense of passion and desire and longing for you, God, that would so overflow and overfill us, God, that there would be rivers of living water that would stream forth, spill out on all people we come into contact with, whether it's people at work, in our family, in our neighborhoods, here at church, wherever that may be. God, we pray for that. Jesus, we need you. God, we can't do this in our own strength. God, we get sidetracked so easily. Lord, help us, we pray. As a church, help us. As individuals, help us. And God, as we do business with you now, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us the areas in our lives that we need to take little steps in 
with the areas of compromise that we've compromised that you need want us to repent of and move forward in. Give us your grace, oh God. Thank you, Lord, that you've made yourself available to us through the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to pass out the elements. If you just hold on to those, Matt is going to lead us in taking them together.